Over the next four weeks, uh, throughout November, I really want to look at four different texts that I just hope to shape the life of our church and for it to be a space where we look at these texts and go, this is what I want um, as, for me as the pastor and then what I believe Jesus wants as like just something to shape what this church looks like, feels like, breathes like, and, and acts like, and those things. And so today, the first text that I want to look at is from Matthew 11, 28 through 30. It'll be on the screen, but you can also turn to it in, in the Bibles. This is what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. I heard this story uh, a number of years ago, um, maybe it was in high school, but of Odysseus and the sirens. And the sirens were these creatures in the water that would sing this song and captivate people, um, ultimately to bring them from their ships and their boats into a space of death. And, um, And so Odysseus, being warned of these sirens uh, does this thing where he, he binds himself to the ship, he ties himself up and his crew ties him up, then he uses wax to cover the ears and clog the ears of um, his crew, and then they pass by the sirens. And the crew doesn't hear what's out there because their ears are clogged up, and then he hears it but he's, because he's tied down. He wants to go. He is seduced by the siren song, but because he's tied down, he can't go. And I thought that was a really cool story. But then I heard another story about Orpheus and the sirens. And Orpheus, same idea, going past the siren song, but instead of like binding himself to the ship, instead of trying to like tie himself down and make sure that you know, he can't get there, instead of clogging the ears of his people, all he does is he takes out a lyre and he starts playing a song and he just plays a more beautiful, more captivating song. And all of a sudden, the people don't even, they, they pass by in safety from the sirens, having never even heard the seductive, destructive song. They didn't even hear it because they were so enraptured and captivated by this other song that was happening in front of him. And when I heard that, I was like, man, what a better way to do life versus like trying to tie people down and, and shove their ears full and make sure you don't hear that. And I felt like it was two different ways of doing church. One way of doing church is like, let's tie them down with fear. Let's scare them so that they have to stay here. Let's try and hold them so because the culture's bad out there. And so let's try and clog their ears, clog their eyes so that they won't even see it and hear it. And then what they're testifying to is culture is actually more captivating. Just don't let them see it or hear it. And then they won't do it. That's one way of doing church. And I was like, man, but the other way of doing church is like, just lift up the more beautiful thing that we have and hold it in front of their eyes. And then they'd be enraptured and captivated by this other space where they go like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even tempted to look out there because we have the more beautiful thing. We have the better story. We have the better song. And so to me, I'm like, this is, that is what Jesus has been to the church. And any church that has ever turned away from Jesus has turned to other tactics and other fear things and all this other selling points to try and keep people in the church. When really all they had to do was like, you have the better story. You have the better news. There's nothing that can compare. We, we, we have this space where Paul says, like, everything else pales in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Like, there's something that we have that they can't even touch. And if we just lift that up in front of people and just, just have it before them and to reveal who he is, the captivating beauty of Jesus, everything else is like, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't even actually see what was out there because I was so captivated by this other man and this relationship that I have with him. And so I love this text because to me, 
Jesus has this space where he reveals that beauty and that captivation that he wants other people to actually see about him. And I just want to look at three different things that Jesus says about himself that we see in this text. So that hopefully we'll see like, man, there's something here that's far greater than anything that's out there. And so that we can say with Paul, like, everything else that I've ever experienced and everything I've turned away from, nothing compares to the greatness of knowing Jesus. And so I want to look at three things that give us just a renewed vision of who he is and what he's like. So the first, quickly. The first thing we see is that Jesus is always inviting us into something greater. Always inviting us into something greater. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I have something better for you. You're tired and worn out. You're burdened, and you've been trying real hard, and and I'm really, really excited that you've tried so hard, but you're tired, and I have something better for you. Would you please let me give you this rest? He's inviting them into something better. And I think for many of us, it's so easy to see Jesus' commands and his demands and all the stuff that he calls us to and all the things that he says in the scriptures. And we just, we read in our history or other pastors or other experiences we've had with the church or something like that. And we read it in and we see like Jesus, we think that he's saying like, don't do this, do, do that instead. Stop doing this. What's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Don't do that, do this. And we, when I talk to people about Jesus, I'm like, it's like the rules are just so, just so many of them. And there's so many times like all of this, everything that he's doing, is just inviting us to experience more. It's not that, and that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, don't do this, do this. He's going, I I promise I have something better on hand for you. I'm inviting you to experience something that's here. And I believe that every command and demand, he's not against commands or demands, but he's he's using them as as a way of going, hey, I just want you to know that if you do this, I'm inviting you in to experience something better than you currently can experience by yourself. So for instance, I want to run through a couple. One of the things that Jesus says is repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's easy to hear the word repent and see, and, and this image come to mind. You can't really see it, but it says repent or else. And then there's flames under there. It's a really creative sign. Um, this is what, I mean, if you hear the word repent, if somebody walked into your office like, hey, uh, let's have a time of repentance and you repent to me, you'd be like, that's worse than cuss words. Like, no, thank you. I'm okay. I'm okay. But like, this is the image that can pop into our mind. But this is the image, like what it used to look like. Go to the next slide here. Repentance used to look like this. This is the, the uh, prodigal coming home to the father and just resting in the arms of his father. And this is what repentance, like repentance was supposed to mean you get to come home. I, you're not out forever. Like there's a way back. It used to be this beautiful thing that we had where it was like when, when Jesus said repent, it was like, oh, thank God. There's another option available. It's not someone yelling at me with a sign saying repent or else, return or burn. It's not that, it's repent. You can, you want to come home. You're tired, you're weary, you want to come home. I have this available for you. Uh, Dallas Willard, uh, this author and professor and philosopher, talks about repentance and really illustrates what Jesus is getting to when he is trying to get people to repent and inviting them into that. And he gives this illustration about his childhood. It's a rather long quote, but stick with me. This is what he says. He says, as a child, I lived in an area of southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning. But in my senior year of high school, the REA extended the lines into the area where we lived, and electrical power became available to households and farms. And when those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, were then vastly changed for the better. But we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements, understand them, and take the practical steps involved in relying on it. 
And he says, you may think this comparison rather crude, and in some respects it is, but it will help us understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of heaven if we pause to reflect on those farmers who, in effect, heard the message, repent, for the kingdom of electricity is at hand. Turn from your kerosene lamps and lanterns, your ice boxes and cellars, your scrub boards and rug beaters, your woman-powered sewing machines and your radios with dry cell batteries. The power that can make your life far better is right near you, where, by making relatively simple arrangements, you could utilize it. Repent, for the kingdom of electricity is at hand. I love that idea. Like what is repentance? What is Jesus calling us to when he's saying repent? It's like, there's something better available now. It wasn't available before, but it's available now. I'm ushering in a new thing. And so when I'm calling you to repent, I'm not cussing at you and I'm not demanding or commanding. I'm just going, Hey, you might not know this, but something far better is available to you now. And just, just, if you would just repent, if you just turn and come home, I promise I'll lead you into something that you're actually longing for that you can't seem to find out on your own. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent for the kingdom of electricity has come in. I love that quote. I think it explains it so well. And I think Jesus is offering us that invitation when he says those things. I think it's the same when he says, do not worry. He's not like, do not worry. And then he gets mad at you about your anxiety. And he's like, oh, I can't believe you're anxious. Don't you know I'm trustworthy? It's not that. He's like, I don't want you to worry because it, one, it does nothing for you. You can't add anything to your life by worrying. It messes with your mental health, which I care about. Like, don't worry. And I'm trustworthy. Like, you don't have to. Something's available now. You don't have to worry anymore. You can just trust me. And then those things don't have to riddle your mind and keep you awake at night and make you worry about the future and all those things. Don't worry. It's an invitation to experience something that's actually peaceful. When he says, confess your sin, he's not saying, like, tell them how wrong you are and feel ashamed by it. He's like, confess your sin one to another and then pray for each other so that healing may come about. Ray Ortland, uh, this book of a couple of guys of us read uh, called The Death of Porn. Uh, we read this book uh, months ago. Uh, but one of the things he said is like, he says, you need to confess your sin because in confessing your sin one to another to save people, that's how you kill your sin. You confess it to death. And what you do is you shoot little arrows of light into the darkness by bringing it to the light. And then all of a sudden that thing that had a grip on you and had hold on you in the dark no longer has hold on you in the light. And so when Jesus says confess your sin, all of it, Find people you're close enough with that you can talk about the dirty stuff that you hide everywhere else. He's like, I'm not doing it to shame you. I'm trying to do it to set you free. Confess your sin. Go and sin no more. He says this a lot. Go and sin no more. We think sin is bad, but he knows. He's like, sin is poison. I'm not telling you don't do that because I said so. I'm saying don't do this because if you drink that, it's poison. It will kill you slowly. Small doses, large doses, but sin is poison. And so again, he's like, I'm just inviting you into a space where you can experience life. I'm not just telling you what to do because I just like dictating rules to you. That's not what this is. Every single thing, with every command, these are invitations of Jesus to come to him, to experience the rest that we're actually longing for. And this is what he's doing. One of my favorite authors and thinkers is Brennan Manning. And every time I read his books, I'll read them throughout the years just consistently because he just makes me love Jesus because he loved him so well. But he says this thing, he says, we have to stop picturing God. We have to stop picturing God as a small-minded bookkeeper, a niggling customs officer rifling through our moral suitcase. We have to stop picturing God as a policeman with a club who's going to bat us over the head for every time we stumble and fall or as a capricious and cantankerous thief who delights in raining on our parade and stealing our joy. He's like, we have to stop picturing him that way because if, if we don't, if we continue to picture him as TSA at the airport. No one loves TSA. 
No one likes like, oh, I can't wait to go there. We should have a party and just bring everybody to TSA. Like if, if that's what we think of Jesus, why would we ever want to spend time in his presence? We want to get in and get out. And even when we know we don't have anything they're looking for, we're still a little nervous. Like what if they find something? What if they take my, what is it like her makeup or something? Like, I don't know. My water bottle. Like we hate that kind of thing. And if we see Jesus that way, it's like, I don't want to go into your presence. You'll find something wrong with me and then make me feel bad about it. And it's like, but that's not what he's like. Everything he calls us to is an invitation to experience more of what he has for us. And so anytime there's a command or a demand and you're like, ah, oh, that's heavy, that's burdensome, John would say it's, it's not burdensome because if you would actually lean into it, you would experience more life from it. It would actually give you something more than it takes away from you. So that's the first one. Everything that Jesus does, he's always inviting us, always inviting us to experience something better than what we can get on our own. The second is, Jesus wants you to be his student his student, not his convert. He wants you to be his student, not his convert. I actually have some students here from the church I was at, and I preached this to them, at them, for them, for six years, going, he does not want you. He calls you, us to make disciples, not converts, two very different words. He wants you to be his student. Um, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke was a way of going about life. Um, John Mark Comer says it this way. It was like a yoke was this Jewish idiom. It was basically a rabbi's set of teachings on how to be human. It's also the thing like an agrarian culture. But for Jesus, it was like this thing. It was like, these are my set of, take my set of teachings on you so that I can teach you how to live. And so what Jesus is saying when he's saying, take my yoke on you and learn from me, he's saying, I want you to be my student, not, not just my convert. I don't want you to just believe in me, make a decision to believe in me, and then, okay, I'll never see you. He's like, I actually want you to spend time with me. The idea that he's presenting is the idea of like an apprenticeship where you're actually learning and spending time with a master teacher, and then over time, you watch them work, and then you do some work, and over time, you become more and more and more like that person. That's the idea. And this is why he's not running through the Gospels going, convert to me, convert to me. Like, he doesn't do that. He's saying, follow me. Come with me. Be with me. I, want you, I don't want you just to believe one thing. I want you to believe all. I want you to believe a ton of stuff, but I want to do it slowly and I want to do it with you. Follow me. Let me lead you and you just follow. And the reason, the reason he calls us to that is because he knows, he's like, if you will follow me, if you'll be my student, you will actually be someone, you'll actually spend time with me. And in spending time with me, you will slowly over time become like me the way an apprentice becomes like its master teacher. Because he's the social proximity effect. You become like the people that you're around. Um, the Harvard social psychologist said that like 95% of your life is determined by the people you habitually spend time with. And so the idea that Jesus is getting at is like, look, I just, I want you to fall under my leadership. Yes, I do want you to do that. But it's so that I can lead you into a space where you become more and more and more like me. So the idea is spend time with me so that you become like me. You're anxious. And he's like, I'm not. I'm filled with peace. And if you would spend time with me, my peace would be something that ultimately works its way into your heart and into your life, and you would become less and less and less anxious. It's not, stop being anxious. It's like, just spend time with me. I will rub off on you. I'm good like that. And he's like, I want you to spend time with me. You are, you're fearful. I, he's like, I'm courageous. Your fear riddles you and it kills you. And he's like, but I'm courageous. Spend time with me, and my courage will be something that ultimately envelops your fear and helps you navigate them. You're joyless. Spend time with me. In my presence is fullness of joy. My joy will just overflow and spill over into your life, and it will shape your heart as well. 
He says, you're struggling to forgive. He's like, I offer forgiveness freely to people no one deserves. I offered it to you. You're struggling to forgive. I do that freely. Spend time with me. It will be something that's formed in you, not something you have to willpower up and like, I just got to forgive them. It's like, no, I will develop that in you slowly. You're riddled with shame and guilt. I'm filled with loving kindness. You have, a, you have struggled just even loving yourself or forgiving yourself. He's like, I have forgiven you. I have cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. I am filled with compassion and loving kindness. Spend time with me. Let my love that I have for you ultimately reform and reshape your heart so that you can actually walk forward, not in shame and guilt, but in freedom in life. Do you understand? Like this, this is why he's going, I want you to be my student, not just someone that just believes the right thing and then I never see again. I want you to stay with me, be with me, so that my life is ultimately formed in yours. To me, one of the, and, and just in my experience, one of the reasons people leave the faith, leave Jesus, leave the church or whatever is because when they came to those things, they came to like a set of beliefs or doctrines. They didn't come to Jesus himself. And so they, they, they changed their belief on something, but they, and then they were told like, hey, now you believe the right thing, now act like you believe. And so you believe the right thing, now act in accordance to your belief. And it's like, man, the gap between I believe this and I can act that way are complete. I mean, soup, there's a chasm in between those things. And the great news is, is like, that's not what Jesus calls us to. That's not what he's saying. He's like, I actually have something way better than that. That yoke is heavy and burdensome. Mine is easy. I just want you to come to me and let me lead you. And then your life will slowly form into a space that I actually have for you. This is what he wants for you. My dad is here. And um, he used to do this thing as a, he probably still does it, but he used to do it as a, and as a kid, I hated it. And now I love it. Um, but as a kid in our house, if, if you would say anything that reminded him of lyrics of a song, he'd start singing that song. And so I'd walk in and be like, oh man, every light in the house is on. He'd be like, every light in the house. And I was like, oh dad, stop. You're killing me. Stop it. But then, but then last week, so I didn't like it. Right. And then last week it was uh, Halloween. And Teddy dressed up as Mario, and he was like, Dad, you should have been Luigi. And I was like, should have been a cowboy. And I was like, I'm my father. Like, it happened. And Teddy looked at me, he was like, oh, why do you do that? And I was like, because I, I grew up in a house where I was formed by the man that I was around. I didn't even want to be formed in that way. And it just happened. Like, I didn't even want that formation. And now I'm actually glad that I have it. But it's one of those, like, y'all, it just happened naturally. There was no work. If, if, if there was work, it was trying not to do that in my life, and yet it's still formed in me. And this is what Jesus is trying to get at. He's like, look, I just want you to be formed into my image. I want you to actually experience the change and the things that you have that you're longing for and looking for. I'm like, How, I just want this to change. And he's like, great, me too. Spend time with me. Let's do it slowly, and let's do it together. Don't try and do this on your own. It's not do this, do that, do that, and then all of a sudden you change because of your willpower. That'll last for just a little bit. And it's like, be transformed into my likeness because I have nothing but fullness to pour out and you're empty. Spend time with me and let my fullness actually shape who you are. David Guzik in this, uh, talking about this idea says this. He says, everyone wants to know, how can I change? How can I change? How can others change? The best and most enduring change comes into our life when we are transformed by time spent with the Lord. There are other ways to change, such as guilt, willpower, or coercion. But none of these methods bring change that is as deep and lasts as long as the transformation that comes by the Spirit of God as we spend time in the presence of the Lord. This is God's great design in our salvation for whom he predestined, uh, excuse me, he predestined us to be conformed into the image of his Son. This was the goal all along. 
You're not only made into my image, but I want to, I want to then sin broke it. I want to reform you back into how I created you to begin with. There's these longings and the stuff that's in there. He's like, I can shape you, I can form you, and I can change that stuff, but I can do it, and you don't have to do it alone. Don't just believe the right thing. Spend time with me. And this is why I spend so much time in prayer and why I try and get other people to spend so much time in prayer. I want you to sit among this person who's real and living and active and his spirit is present with you and wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm there with you. I want us to just sit there in his presence and just talk to him and be spoken to so that the things in us that we're going, God, I, I just need this to shift and change in them and in me and I don't know how to do it and every time I try, I, can't, I do it good for a little bit and I can't do it. And it's like, just sit with him and be with him and then those things will naturally, over time, just be, and he likes to go slow. He's a three-mile-an-hour God. He likes to go real slow, but he wants to do that, but he's not also putting pressure on you and be like, you should change this so fast. And we do this with people when we try and get them saved or something like that. It's like, hey, do you agree that everything that you've ever done in your entire life from here on throughout is sin? And it's like, uh, maybe. I don't know. I'm not totally sure. And it's like, yeah, just, just let them follow him, and then he will point out things. It's like that, this year, that right there. Let's deal with that thing. Let's deal with it slowly and compassionately with loving kindness and all those things, and you can be formed in my image. That is my favorite point of all time. I could keep going on that, but I'm going to move on because it's time to keep moving on. The third thing that I want us to see in this text is that Jesus wants to give you rest. Jesus wants to give you rest. I don't know what you think Jesus wants to give you. Guilt, shame, make you feel bad about something. I have no idea. I don't know your background. I don't know your story. But he says it twice here just in case you missed it the first time. He's like, hey, come to me and I will give you rest. I want to give you rest. And then he says, follow me, spend time with me, and then you will find rest with me for your soul. He's like, I just want you to know what I'm after for you is rest and then more rest. I want you to experience those things. And you actually see this consistently in the scriptures. God, when he creates Adam and Eve, he creates Adam and Eve on day six. Day seven is rest day. It's the best Rest day is the best. It's like day six, you're created. Day seven, do you want me to get to work? I really, you've been doing a ton. You know, five days of really strong work, God. Do you want us to do something now that we're here? No. I want you to take your first day on earth, planet earth, and I want you to just sit with me and enjoy time with me. Just rest with me. But then something happens and sin gets in the way and the sin exiles them from the place of rest that God created from them, for them. And then you get to Exodus and God's giving them a new way to be human. He's like, I'm gonna give you 10 commands. And one of the commands is, make sure you remember to rest. Take a day off of it. He commands it. He doesn't command any other spiritual discipline. He commands that one. Make sure you Sabbath. Make sure you take a day off and spend it just with me. I like you. <laughs> I want to be with you and you need to be with me. Take some time, make sure you do that. But then they're disobedient to the commands and they don't do those things and so they don't experience the rest there. And then he says, hey, I'm going to take you in numbers. I'm going to take you to the promised land. And this land will be a space where there's no slavery. There's no, you can just rest. I will protect you from your enemies. I will provide your food. I'll provide your water. You get to go into a land of rest. All you got to do is go in. And they, again, sin gets in the way. And they're like, I don't believe he's going to take us there. I don't think it's going to work. And so sin gets in the way and they don't go into the promised land. And they're constantly being offered rest and then constantly missing it because of their sin. And so then you get to Jesus who's like, I want to give you rest. What I want for you is to experience rest, but your sin keeps getting in the way. So here's what I'll do. I'll take it on myself. I'll take your sin and crush it and kill it as I'm crushed and killed on the cross so that you can ultimately experience this thing that God from creation to the end has been trying desperately to give you and can't because your sin's there, but I'm gonna take care of your sin. I'll remove your sin so that you can enter into the rest that I actually have for you. I'm that committed to giving you rest, to lay down my life for it. And this is what he does. 
And for me, this is the vision of Jesus that I want our church to have. This is the vision of Jesus I want us to experience. This is what Peter ultimately gets to in Acts 3 where he says, hey, look, now, because of what Jesus has done, he goes, you can repent and you can turn to God and you can have your sin blotted out and removed from you so that times of refreshing may now come. Like this thing's been getting in your way over and over and over again and now it's no longer in your way. Now you can just experience the rest. This is who Jesus is. This is who he says that he is, and this is who he is. And this is who I want us to see him to be. I have these conversations with people about Jesus, and I love those people, um, but I, I just feel I'm like, you don't see, you don't see it. You don't see how wonderful he is. This time with him, the space with him, like the things that he's offering to you, like you just don't see it. What was, what was sold to you was like, you need to believe so you don't burn in hell. And it's like, oh my gosh, you skipped 80 years of glory like in between to get to know this man. You, you, you skipped all of the space where you could actually, all of the fears that you have could be relieved. All of the spaces, the, the things that you're like, I want this to change and I can't. Those things can begin to shift. All the things that give you dread and, and just the longings that you feel, all of that stuff can be, like you missed all of it. Anybody that's saying you need to believe and then you can have this thing later on, it's like, what about now? What about in this space? And Jesus is going, walk with me. I want to lead you into a space where you experience the longings in your heart. This is why David would say, delight yourself in the Lord. Spend time with him. And then he will actually fulfill the longings of your heart, the real ones. But if you delight in anything else, you're going to be searching for something to fulfill you and never finding it. And Jesus is going, so come, come to me. I can do those things. I can actually lead you into that space. Jesus is always inviting us into something greater. He longs to be with you so that you don't have to sit there and try and fix yourself, but that he can shape you and form you into who you're supposed to be. And he longs to give you rest. I want our church to be a space where people can be delivered from the hard lifestyle of obligation to God and ultimately experience this space where they enter into a, a space of fascination with the person of Jesus and the things that they're longing for and, and, and looking to see ultimately take shape because they're just captivated by this man. So this is what I want. This is what we're going to pursue together and we're going to talk about this more in coming weeks. But let me pray for us and then we'll take communion. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thanks for this day, for the people in my life, um, just to be kind to me and pray over me and um, just say these beautiful things and, and to remind us of what's true and real and good. Um, Lord, there was a space in the Gospels where people were just looking for the hem of your robe, and I just, everything that they wanted, they were just like, all I need is the hem of his robe, and uh, Lord, that's how good you are. We just, I mean, we don't need the full person, just the hem of your robe. And so, Father, I just, I pray that whatever is taken from today, uh, Lord, that they, we all got this space where we understood even just a portion of you, even just the hem of your robe, even if we just understood just a single small portion is plenty to carry us on and through. But God, I pray that you would just stir our hearts with love and affection and wonder of Jesus would you do that in his name? Amen. Uh, we're going to take communion. I love communion. I love that we do this every week. One of the things that Larry said when we got here, he's like, you know, we do that every week. And I was like, good. I'm glad because it'd be harder to implement something that, than it is to take something away. So I'm so glad you do it. I love communion. I was telling the worship team earlier, I was like, how do you want to be remembered? Because Jesus cho chooses, he's like, I want to be remembered as someone who died for you. Like, 
that's real love, man. Like I would, he wants to be remembered that way. And I think like there's so many things in our culture, like think of Jesus this way, think of Jesus like this, think of Jesus like this. And it's like, he wants to be remembered as like, I laid down my life in love for you. The joy of spending eternity with you and doing life with you was so exciting to me that it was like, well, you're going to have to die. And he's like, sign me up. I'm ready. I just can't wait to spend time with these people. There's this quote by a pastor in New York named Sam Gibson that I really love. He says, people struggle whether or not God likes them or not. And he says, we are his inheritance. We are what he came for. He didn't come that we'd stop being bad and start being good. He came because he desired us. His greatest desire is to dwell with his people. And Jesus paid the greatest price for you and I to know him. And our communion that we take every week is a reminder of the love that he actually has for us. And so I don't know where you're at with Jesus or faith or whatever in your life and all those different things, but like, you, you, have a, you have a person, a real living person who, who loves you deeply enough to give his life for you, even though it was years and years ago. He loves you deeply and he has life for you and goodness for you and glory awaiting for you. And like, he just wants you and invites you into those things. And so I invite you to take communion, uh, to take some time and just stir your own affections and wonder for Jesus. But I want us to um, do something. Uh, we're gonna begin this every week. Um, and I know some of y'all may not love liturgy, but my wife and I clearly do. So uh, we're gonna do some reader response liturgy uh, over communion. Uh, but if you would, just do me a favor. Actually, stay seated because I think if you stand up, it'd be hard to see. Um, but the bread, go to the next slide, Colin. There we go. Bread represents his body. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And then the juice, the wine, his blood. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Take some time in your seats. And then when you're ready, please come and receive communion.